It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, December 2nd, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Sitka reported two more coronavirus cases on Tuesday and one more hospitalization, according to data from the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. These new cases continue an upward trend in the city's positive cases and put Sitka's seven-day case rate at 10. The city will remain in high COVID alert until fewer than nine cases are reported in a seven-day period. Since the beginning of the pandemic, Sitka has reported a total of 1,240 cases, 26 hospitalizations, and five deaths. Sitka's vaccination rate continues to increase slightly, up to 72 percent fully vaccinated as of this week. According to state data, over 100 children in Sitka received their second vaccine dose earlier this week. After a near three-month closure, Catlian Street is again open to traffic. The street was first closed in early September after one of few remaining historic clan houses began to show signs of collapse. On Tuesday, the city reopened the closed section of Catlian Street with a two-way traffic system controlled with stop signs. While the west side of the street is open to vehicles, the building is still at risk of collapsing and the street remains closed to pedestrian traffic. According to the city's public relations director, Melissa Henshaw, Sitka's police, fire and public works department designed the street plan after reviewing an engineering report for the home. After consulting with Sitka Tribe, they opened the street to cars. Concrete barriers line the front of the building. The state of Alaska is looking to hire ferries from the private sector to connect five southeast Alaska villages facing long gaps in winter service. But as Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, the plan envisions using public funds to charter vessels while a modern $60 million ferry remains tied to the dock. Life in coastal villages is expensive enough, but without the state-run ferry system, it can be difficult for people to survive, says Jerry Byers, mayor of the island community of Huna, outside Juneau. Everywhere has had a hard time during the pandemic. Now, with all the prices going up, coming into winter is going to make it harder for residents to uh, be able to live in their home communities. That was the fear when Governor Mike Dunleavy's administration announced long gaps in ferry service this winter. At the end of the month, the Lakanti, a 47-year-old workhorse that serves southeast villages, goes into dry dock for a scheduled two-month overhaul that will keep it offline until at least March. Originally, we didn't have any fill-in service planned during that time, but we have received requests from communities, and we are looking for a way to meet that demand. Sam Dapsevich is a regional spokesman for the Department of Transportation, which runs the Marine Highway. His agency this week asked for bids from private operators to offer regular service between Juneau and the communities of Huna, Angoon, Gustavus, and Pelican. This wouldn't be the first time DOT has called up private operators to fill in. But Dapsevich says this request is designed to also include at least one vessel capable of carrying vehicles and on relatively short notice for the foreseeable future. Like if a vessel is going to be out unexpectedly and we need to provide service, we would have some uh, a contract in place with different vendors and we could call them up and say, hey, are you available? Gold Belt, Juno's urban native corporation, doesn't have any vessels capable of carrying vehicles. But CEO McHugh Pierre says the prospect of using its catamarans for supplemental service makes economic sense for running out to smaller communities that don't always need a full-size state ferry. I'm really excited for uh, Department of Transportation and Alaska Marine Highway Services to be able to finally make this step to allow for routine, dependable transportation that is sized appropriately for each community. The plan to rely more on private operators is getting a cool reception from unions, 
Ben Goldrich is local leader of MEBA, which covers about 75 licensed marine engineers who work on the state's ferries. I would think that these issues can be anticipated, and again, we'd like a better understanding of why the state's not using resources that they currently have tied to the dock. One of those resources is the state's bought-and-paid-for full-size ferry Taslina. The $60 million vessel was built in Ketchikan and briefly entered service in 2019, but it's been mostly idle ever since, largely due to its limited range. So why not run the Taslina? Dapsevich listed off a few reasons, the first one being... Because we didn't plan for it and, and, and we're responding to some demand you know, of requests coming in from communities, we are unable to crew it up quickly enough to meet the time frame for January service. The other is that the idled vessel doesn't have all its certifications, and getting a short-term certificate, he said, could be cumbersome. Goldrich, the union boss, also says he's skeptical whether DOT will be able to find a vessel capable of carrying at least 125 passengers and cars and trucks, which is what it's asking for. I'm not sure that a fleet of vessels that could fill in for the state, for the ferries, I'm not sure that those vessels exist or are available. seems like the state ought to be using um, their newer resources in this case. In the rural coastal villages, local leaders say they're glad the state is supplementing what had been a lean winter schedule. You know, it's... Better than nothing. Is it the answer? No. That's Byers, the Huna mayor again. He says the backdrop for all this is the federal infrastructure package's promise of a billion dollars for a new five-year essential ferry service program. My big thing is, you know, the state got all this uh, federal money for ferries, and I think we should try to utilize it to the best advantage to help the community survive. In related news, there's some progress in upgrading the Taslina's sister ship, Hubbard, with crew quarters that would extend that Alaska-class ferry's range and make it more suitable as a fill-in for the half-century-old ferries that normally ply the panhandle. DOT confirmed that Vigor Alaska is a low bidder at just over $15 million to do the work early next year. The contract has not been finalized, though executives for the company that operate the Ketchikan shipyard say they are cautiously optimistic. The bids for private ferry operators are due on December 15th, with the goal to finalize the contract shortly after Christmas. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. The results of a public opinion survey on tourism in Juneau are out. About 2,400 Juneau residents weighed in. To participate, people had to live in Juneau during the summer of 2019, the last big tourism season before the pandemic. On the overall effects of tourism, the majority of people who responded said they thought it had a positive impact on them. Just over a third said tourism had both positive and negative impacts. 20% said it didn't have any impact. And just 8% of the people said tourism had a negative impact. These trends are similar to results from past surveys the city has conducted since the 1990s. Heather Hoagland from McKinley Research Group presented the survey findings to the Juneau Assembly on Monday. She said she thought it was significant that the results were so similar for the past 19 years, considering how much the tourism industry has changed during that time. So between 2002 and 2021, we almost, or 2019, we almost doubled our cruise passenger volume. But really, these responses did not change very much within four percentage points and some in just two or three percentage points change. So um, even though it might seem boring, it's actually pretty remarkable that these, uh, these responses are so consistent. Residents who live in downtown or Thane were more likely to respond with negative impacts of tourism than those who live in other parts of the city. 
And people who live in those areas or on Douglas said that they felt more impacts overall from tourism than people who lived in Lemon Creek, the Mendenhall Valley or out the road. More people also responded that they were negatively impacted by tourism online than through the phone survey. Hoagland says this could be because people who felt impacted by tourism were more likely to take the survey. Online responses were felt more impacted by tourism. They also were twice as likely to be from downtown, you know, much less likely to be from the valley. People are split on the city's response to tourism. Almost half of the responses says the city isn't doing enough to manage the impacts of tourism on the community. The other half said the city is doing enough or more than enough. With limiting cruise ships, almost two-thirds of the people who responded said they'd support limits on large cruise ships per day. When asked about what that limit should be, the top answer was five, then three, then four. About 56 percent of people supported Norwegian Cruise Line's plans for a new dock. People were then asked if their support would change if certain things were incorporated into the project, like a cruise ship limit, a park, and an ocean center. Hoagland says that these factors did change some people's level of support. The number one preference would be a cap of five large ships per day in Juno's Harbor. The full report on the survey's results can be found at ktoo.org or on the City of Juno's website. A statewide commercial fishing industry trade group has hired the tribal administrator of the Petersburg Indian Association as its next executive director. 34-year-old Tracy Welch is wrapping up work with the Petersburg tribe this week and starts work December 7th as executive director of the United Fishermen of Alaska. UFA advocates for the industry and represents commercial fishing groups from the Bering Sea to Seattle. Welch says she was able to attend the Pacific Marine Expo in Seattle in November with UFA members. It was a good chance to meet some of the board of directors and some of the fishermen from around the state and on the West Coast. So definitely something a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but, um, you know, it's going to be nice to go back to working for and with fishermen, too. Welch grew up in Petersburg and has a background in commercial fishing, gill netting and long lining with her father. She went to college at Notre Dame and law school at University of Oregon. Welch served on the Tribal Council of the Petersburg Indian Association starting in 2017 and became council president later that year. She took over as tribal administrator in 2019. Welch says the tribal government has really grown into a larger role over the past five years. The organization has really turned around and become a true partner in the community. I think you can see that in the various services that we offer and partnership with the borough and partnership with Mountain View Food Service. Um, you know, we do a lot of trail work and we're doing, a, we started a transit program. That's probably the high point of my time at PIA. That transit program offers free rides in the community to elders and people with disabilities. UFA Executive Committee President Matt Allward writes in an email that the board is excited to welcome Welch to the organization because of her background and knowledge of commercial fishing. Welch's last day on the job at PIA is Friday, but she plans to help with the transition for new tribal administrator. The tribe is still advertising that job. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.